Thanks for joining me on this Cleveland Baseball Morning. The final from Progressive Field in Cleveland. It's the Guardians 5, the Houston Astros nothing. The Guardians win the series. I'm Davey Barris, lifelong Cleveland baseball fan, and I want to talk about the actual game on the field, the thing I enjoy, watching baseball being played. And thank you, everybody. I hope you enjoyed our huge doubleheader episode plus the mailbag uh, it was giant. I mean, we even went over an hour. I frankly shocked that uh, I that we went that long in that episode. So thank you for everybody who took the time to listen. I hope you had fun. I hope you had fun going back listening to those old takes, and I hope you enjoyed my enthusiasm for what's been a crazy series against the Houston Astros. I mean, to go through the battles we went through on Friday night and the battle we went through on Saturday night, even though you know we come out behind in, on Saturday's game, still highly competitive game. Uh, boy, what a turn of the page Sunday is! What a different, different story Sunday is. Uh, we jump out to the lead against the Houston Astros and we just dominate them. We absolutely dominated this Sunday finale. Uh, you know, Josh Bell said uh, in his postgame interview when uh, Andres Jimenez hit the two-run home run in the second inning and Bieber was locked in those first two innings, the the attitude in the dugout kind of was, this is our game. Like, we, the, we have got this. We got a two-run lead and our ace is pitching like this. Forget about it. This one is... This one is ours. And yeah, that attitude just kind of carried through the whole day. Uh, you know, a very Guardians way of doing things. And, you know, we've talked about this before, before, but being able to score in multiple innings, even, even though the Guardians don't have the huge rally in this game, being able to score in multiple, multiple innings is just so demoralizing for a team. Every time they run up there, they throw up a zero, and then you come back and score. Oof, that's got to be brutal, uh, especially at the end of a series, you know, for the away team. I don't know if Houston, I don't know where they are on road trips or if they're going back home or anything like that, but uh, it seemed like after what they went through on Friday and Saturday, uh, they were done. It seemed like they were done. Uh, you know, it's a weird day. The lineups are a little bit. Well, they're very Sunday. Let's just say that, right? Backup catchers are in there. Jose Ramirez gets the entire day off. He doesn't even DH. They just bump everybody up one spot in the lineup. All right, that's one way of doing it. Um, so, uh, yeah. So, you know, uh, Francona said, you know, I got an opportunity to give him two days off in a row because of the way the schedule is. And yeah, I took advantage of it. He he deserves it. He needs it. They're not worried about him heating, you know, getting cooling off while sitting on the bench. And not being able to heat back up in the next two series. Uh, this West Coast road trip we're about to go on. So it is, you know, a strange day. Lineups are a little bit different than you'd been seeing all weekend. But uh, 100%. I mean, let's take a look at the, at the win probability line. What did this thing look like? Yeah, pretty much from uh, from Andres Jimenez's home run, it goes to a 75% win probability for the Guardians. And it... it doesn't really come the the highest it gets is a 69% win probability or I should say the lowest it gets is a 69% win probability for the Guardians. So I mean the data the data shows that the Guardians were really in were command and you know in the driver's seat and drove this thing all the way home. 
So let's get into some details on this one, and then we'll get to your emails. This is not going to be an hour and 15-minute episode. Uh, This is probably going to be a shorter one. It's been a long weekend. I don't know about you guys, but, you know, Sundays can... Some, sometimes Sundays can be very relaxing, and sometimes Sundays can just be exhausting, right? This was one of those exhausting Sundays, so uh, we're definitely not going not gonna to be a long one this episode, because it's a pretty simple game. The storylines of this game is Shane Bieber pitched amazing. I mean, vintage Bieber right here. Again, he must have heard the podcast. He must have heard me saying that Tristan McKenzie might be moving into the ace of the staff territory and he's like well i can't let that happen i I gotta hold my spot down i'm i'm the ace i'm the all-star opening day starters former cy young winner uh and he pitched like it on this one so i'm glad i got him riled up i highly doubt that but we we can maybe who knows um so bieber goes seven innings only gives up three hits, no earned runs, one walk, nine strikeouts on 104 pitches. This is how you know he was locked in. I, the nine strikeouts are a pretty good giveaway too, but only hard hit five times over seven innings. And he goes seven innings. Remember, Bieber sometimes can give up a lot of base runners. He can give up a lot of hard hit balls. And it causes him not to go deep into games. That's one of... One of the things that you know has has you know brought him down just slightly, just slightly from that Cy Young conversation the last few years, right? Um, you know, being able to command deep into the games and get those extra innings or two really help. And so, I mean, yeah, he goes one, two, three in the first, one, two, three in the second. When did they get their first base runner? A walk in in the third, uh, they get a base runner. They don't get their first hit until a Kyle Tucker single in the fourth. Um, so yeah, uh, a great job uh, by the Guardians here of uh, re or by Bieber, I should say, of really limiting the damage and then getting the strikeout pitch working, getting the swing and miss working, getting the called strikes going. Uh, his CSW numbers are pretty freaking solid. Uh, he had uh, a lot of whiffs on the cutter and the slider. On the cutter and the slider. Five whiffs on the cutter, five on the slider. Add in two on the forcing fastball and two on the knuckle curve. It's good for a 36% whiff rate total on the day. 14 whiffs on 39 swings. 13 called strikes on the four-seam fastball, though. Nine called strikes on the cutter. So the hard stuff was any and three on the knuckle curve. One on the slider, one on the changeup. Why not? Let's get them all in there. 27 called strikes on the day. Pounding the strike zone uh, for good for a 39% CSW total on the day. Really, really strong stuff from Shane Bieber. If we go over to the count breakdown here for Shane Bieber, just working ahead. All day long, all, all the Guardians pitchers were. Trevor Steffen and Classe followed suit with uh, Bieber on the day. But let's see here. Five, six, seven, eight guys start 1-0. All right. Six, seven, eight, nine, 10, 11, 12, 13, 14, 15 guys. He starts 0-1. That's a big difference right there, getting ahead. And you know what? He's stayed ahead for the most part. On the day when he was getting to two strikes, oh, let me reverse that. 
when he actually fell behind, you know, a few guys, uh, four guys get to 2-0, and one guy gets to 3-0. When he was behind, he was using the cutter. Uh, actually, a lot of first pitch cutters, uh, almost 46.2% first pitch cutters. So going to it early, but then when he gets ahead, when he gets two strikes, going with a lot of sliders, uh, fastballs, and curveballs, using those three pitches. Um, mostly once he got to two strikes. And there was one 0-2 cutter. So mostly once he got it, the cutter was the pitch he used to get back in accounts, but the uh, the slider and the curve and the fastball were the pitches he used to put guys away. And if we go back to the pitch chart here and uh, we take a look at just the strikeout pitches, uh, most of these are against the right-handed batters. Uh, only one strikeout uh, for Bieber of a left-handed batter. It was a backdoor slider to uh, Salazar uh, that he swung through in the fifth inning uh, on a 1-2 count. A nice backdoor slider right on the outside edge. That That's the other thing. He was so accurate on this game. Then to the right-handed batters, uh, the other eight strikeouts, uh, three of them come on. High fastballs, uh, challenging Corey Jolks up at the top of the zone on a 2-2 count in the first. Uh, that's a called strike three. Uh, gets Bregman, blows one past Bregman in the sixth inning on a 2-2 count high in the zone. And then gets Jake Myers, a called strike, maybe a little bit off the plate, but he gets the call in the fifth inning on a 1-2 count. There's three slider strikeouts to these right-handed hitters. He gets Bregman chasing a slider that's down but in the strike zone, and then gets Jose Abreu and Corey Jolks to both expand the strike zone and chase sliders down and away, and then the knuckle curve. Of course, Bieber's going to get a few knuckle curves in there, and he gets Jake Myers, and he gets Jose Abreu uh, in the second inning, both chasing curveballs down and out of the zone. And these pitches, these strikeouts to these right-handed batters, all along the outside edge of the plate, the glove side of the plate for the right-handed pitcher, Shane Bieber. And that's just what he did all day. He really attacked, whether it was cutter or four-seam fastball or slider or curve, and even the change-ups are all on the outside edge of the plate. Yeah, sure, he came came to the arm side of the plate every now and then. I'm not, I'm not saying exclusively. I mean, if anyone's looked at the illustrator on StatCast, you know that, you know, it's they're all over the strike zone, uh, usually in these games. But you can definitely see a pattern, right? You could definitely see a pattern along that outside edge there. So Bieber attacking, and that's what he does. That, that's, that's definitely Bieber's game plan, is to attack that glove side of the plate. Uh, he pounds the cutter out there, pounds the four-seam fastball. The cutter down and the fastball up. I would say that's the big difference. He, of course, gets a little extra movement on the cutter, but the location of the cutter seems to be at the belt or below, whereas the location on that four-seam fastball seems to be at the belt or above. So that's a difference right there from Shane Bieber. So, I mean, that's just just ace-level stuff right there. That's Bieber pitching his game, his style. Getting those strikeouts, that is, uh, that's the guy. That's the guy we want to see, especially against a team like Houston, right? I mean, this series, the reason everyone was so pumped, the reason they were packing progressive field with 30,000-plus people for these games, which, I mean, if you pay attention to the the attendance in Cleveland, you know that 
getting 35,000 plus in there is kind of a monumental feat right now. Uh, right now. Uh, only 26,000 uh, for the Sunday finale. All right, all right. But I believe on Saturday night, it was a big crowd. Yeah, 35,000 uh, on Saturday night, packing Progressive Field. So, uh, all right, a little bit smaller crowd on Sunday, uh, but uh, still a pretty great crowd for a big weekend series against Houston. So that's what was going on on the pitching side of things. Um, Stefan comes in and pitches a really solid eighth, uh, does give up a hit, but two strikeouts for him. Now, this is fun on 21 pitches. So Stefan has a good inning, but takes him 21 pitches to do it. Emmanuel Classe comes in. Finishes off the ninth inning. Uh, someone, I think in one of the emails, someone asked me uh, why Classe is in there. It was Jeff with a G. Sorry, sorry, Jeff. You're just going to have to be Jeff. Uh, he's Jeff from Columbus. That's who he is. Um, he asked about Classe pitching in the ninth inning. I'm yeah. I'm assuming it was. I'm assuming it was he wanted to get a little work in, but probably more just like Houston's a really good team. You know, they're. Uh, maybe a sign of respect from Terry Francona uh, saying like, look, I want to make sure we get this win. I'm not taking any chances. Five run lead. I'm still putting Emmanuel Classe out there uh, to finish this thing off, but he does it on 10 pitches. So 21 pitches for Stephanie get through the eighth. Classe is so freaking efficient with his pitches, 10 pitches. And he got two strikeouts and gets done with that ninth inning. Uh, Classe passes 200 uh, strikeouts for his career. Uh, he is up to 201 strikeouts for his career, and he's up to 87 saves. He obviously doesn't get a save in this situation here, but he's at 87 saves for his career. And I'm just, just curious, like, okay, 200 strikeouts. What does that mean for a closer? What does that mean for a relief pitcher? So I just pulled up a bunch of... Uh, kind of the top closers in the history of baseball, the guys that have racked up the most saves. Just looking at their strikeout totals, it seems to be around 1,200 is kind of where you're... 1,100, 1,200 is kind of the sweet spot for these, I mean, the best of the best closers. Uh, Billy Wagner was at uh, 1,196. Uh, Trevor Hoffman was at 1,133. Mariano Rivera, 1,173. Uh, and then some current guys. Craig Kimbrell uh, is at 1,135. Kenley Jansen, 1,131. The most I saw of anyone I looked up was Lee Smith, the old, the old closer for the Cubs for a long time and then moved on to Boston. St. Louis kind of bounced around late in his career. He was at 1,251 strikeouts. So... Class A at, uh, obviously, the, the best closers when it comes to saves are Trevor Hoffman and Mariano Rivera that both have over 600 saves. Lee Smith was in that third at 478. So to get to 400 puts you in elite, elite territory when it comes to saves. Uh, again, Class A is at 87. But to hit the 600 mark, I mean, puts you in the top three. That be a heck of a career if Classe gets there. So he's still got a lot of work to go, but I think at 200 strikeouts at this at this point in his career, uh, you know he's four seasons in. Although that uh, 2019 doesn't really count. He pitched what, how many innings here? 23 innings. So 
not much of an impact in 2019. Obviously loses a season due to, you know, PDs or, you know, whatever. So, um, so yeah, so he's still got plenty of time though. He's still 25 years old. Uh, he's got time to get up there as far as saves and strikeouts go. I was just curious, you know, and 200 strikeouts sounded like a nice round number to celebrate. Uh, they mentioned it on the TV broadcast and I thought, where did, you know, what, what does that mean? Where, where does that actually put him? Uh, so yeah, so great job by our pitching staff. And then the offense, I mean, Hey, we talked about the long ball and, uh, it, it's just, it's nice to be able to hit a home run every now and then. I know we like when the guardians grind out, uh, at bats, but they get a two run home run from Andres Jimenez in the second inning. If this guy gets going, I mean, I'm telling you, if Andres Jimenez wakes up, and hits like the guy who was here last year, this lineup gets scary good. Scary good. And already it's the kind of lineup where I, I've mentioned this before, I, I don't think many teams look forward to facing the Guardians. I think they know they've got their work cut out for them. They, they know you can. You can beat them. You can strike them out. You can shut down this offense. But at the same time, there's a lot of guys that are just waiting to get red hot. And if they all come together at the same time, I mean, we've had 10-plus hits six days in a row. They have 11 hits in this one. We clearly have something cooking right now. And Andres Jimenez gets his in this game. Unfortunately, before he goes out with a with an injury, uh, you know, Francona said is something... Something as maybe a cramp or something like that as he was when he flew out to center field later in the game. So they took him out for precautionary reasons. Might miss a game or two on the road trip to let whatever it was calm down. But doesn't look like a big deal for Andres Jimenez. But second pitch of this at bat in the uh, second inning, he gets a hanging changeup. He gets a changeup right down the middle, just below the belt. And he turns on this thing. I mean, this thing speeds up his bat. 106.9 mile per hour exit velocity, 23 degree launch angle, 388 out to right center field. It's a two-run home run that also brings in Josh Bell. And uh, it would have been a home run in 22 out of 30 ballparks. So a pretty solid shot there from Andres Jimenez. They don't score in the third, but they come back in the fourth inning. Now, Josh Bell already had a few swings in the third inning or saw a few pitches in the third inning because Naylor got caught stealing. Unfortunately, when when you're not a guy really known for stealing and you don't do it that often and you're a big dude like Naylor, you kind of come into second base like a Mack truck. And he overslid the bag, and they they held the tag on his foot long enough during that separation that they call him out. Um, so Josh Bell saw a few pitches, but then comes up to lead off the fourth inning, and uh, he gets a home run also on a changeup. Sees a few more pitches than uh, than Andres Jimenez did. He goes a four-pitch at bat, starts him with a fastball away, a fastball on the plate for a called strike, clearly trying to keep the ball away. Goes for a curveball, but throws it in the dirt. Comes back with a changeup down and away. And again, speeds up his bat because Bell pulls this thing uh, in just right a center field. 108.4 mile per hour exit velocity. 25 degree launch angle. It would have been a home run in 27 out of 30 ballparks. 
I, you know, I'm kind of surprised at the pitch location because it did. In you know, watching the highlights, watching watching it live, it looked like Bell kind of reached out over the plate to get this thing right. He reaches out to the outer half of the plate and still pulls this thing with authority. So I, I anyone who could do that, you got the strength to do that. I give you credit. Um, it's a hell of a swing from Josh Bell. So, uh, yeah, he extends the lead to 3 nothing, and then they continue to add on in the fifth inning. Uh, a single by Straw, a double by Quan. Rosario uh, actually knocks him in from third base with a ground out to first base, which is a weird way of getting it done, but, hey, Straw is just that fast. Must have been going crack of the bat, and uh, first baseman decides to play it safe, just go to the bag and let that run score, and then back-to-back doubles to lead off the sixth inning. Bell again hits it at 114 miles per hour into right field for a leadoff double, and then Tyler Freeman comes so close, within inches, I didn't realize this, of his first major league career home run. He hasn't had one yet. This would have been a home run in 19 out of 30 ballparks, but it hits at the top of the 19-foot wall at Progressive Field, And uh, it goes for an RBI double. So it's just a great job of adding on uh, a little bit here, a little bit there, every inning. I mean, they score in four out of five innings in the middle of this game. Come on. That is good stuff right there. If number one is a fan watching the game, it keeps you invested, knowing that every time this team's up, they're, they're liable to score. And you know what? Maybe they would have had more. They kind of run themselves out of some things. They're not big rallies, but Naylor gets caught stealing. Arias does get picked off at first base. Uh, So they do have some base running errors that cost, you know, maybe cost a little bit of momentum here and there, but it wasn't going to affect them on this day. They had everything working in their favor this day. So even some base running errors wasn't going to slow them down on this day. Everybody in the lineup has a hard hit ball except Cam Gallagher and Ahmed Rosario in this one. Uh, so a lot of hard hit balls. Brandon Bielek, uh, Bielek, who was the uh, pitcher for Houston, who goes five innings. Uh, he gives up one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven hard hit balls uh, over there for you know probably not what the Houston fans wanted to see out of Bielek's start. So uh, a good job all around from this offense. Everybody pretty much finds a way to contribute. Josh Bell was definitely the big man in the middle of this lineup, three hits, including the double, including the home run, uh, one RBI, and three runs scored from Josh Bell. Uh, man, I guess whoever's hitting in that four hole right now for the Guardians is red hot. Uh, that spot carries some heat with it. Uh, Naylor getting bumped up, uh, you know, one spot does have a, a nice hit, but gets thrown out stealing, and that's that was his contribution offensively on the day. Um but yeah, everybody everybody finds a way to contribute pretty much uh, in this one. So let's wrap this game up here. It's just it's a really solid win for your Guardians. An MVP on the day. I know I was just gushing at Josh Bell. I know I was just gushing about him. I gotta go with Shane Bieber. Uh, you know, to return like that, to have a great bounce back game like that, and to limit the hard hit balls and really control the game. To really control the game with that fastball and that cutter early, using that slider and that knuckle curve and the fastball to get strikeouts, uh, it's just such a solid pitching performance from Shane Bieber. It's exactly what we wanted to see, what we needed to see to win this series on a Sunday finale. So 
Bieber is getting MVP on the day. All right, uh, some off the field uh, new, well, not off the field news, just some, some not this game news. Let's call it that. Not this game news. Uh, I don't know if you saw this stuff going on, the conversation going on about Nolan Jones. Uh, I think he had a walk off home run for the Rockies. He's been he did get called up to the Colorado. Uh, he is playing for the Rockies right now. And he's absolutely destroying the baseball. Uh, in 15 games, he's got four home runs. He's hitting 360 with a 407 on base, a 680 slugging. It's good for a 1087 OPS. So he is crushing for Colorado right now. And some Guardians fans are really, really annoyed by it. Because, let's be honest, a power-hitting right fielder is kind of what this team has been looking for since the 90s. And Brennan could easily slide over and be playing center field next to Nolan Jones in right. But we moved on for him. Now, he does have a ton of strikeouts still. 17 strikeouts to four walks. So that ratio hasn't really changed. But he is hitting for a ton of power. Uh, he's just hitting, man. He is hitting. I We don't know. I don't know if it's the Coors effect, Coors field effect. Uh, but he is absolutely hitting right now. So some people were like, oh, my God, this might go down as one of the worst trades in Guardians history. Other people were pointing out that he, he did start hot in Cleveland last year and then really cooled off, and those strikeouts got really bad. And people have pointed out that Juan Brito, the guy we got for him, is having a fantastic season in the minors. He's moved up to double-A Akron. He's played in 13 games there. He's hitting 380 with a 483 on base and a 520 slugging. It's good for a 1,003 OPS. So the guy we got for him, yeah, all right, it's different. He's in double-A. Nolan Jones is already in the major leagues, but we knew that going into the trade. Uh, he's crushing it right now at double-A Akron. So... No slouch. I it honestly, it could be a situation where both teams win the trade. Like that's one hundred percent a possibility in this situation. But will the strikeouts be too much uh, and start bringing down Nolan Jones's on base percentage and his batting average, even if he still is hitting for power and course? Whereas Juan Brito, I'll just throw it out there, he is still walking more than he strikes out at every stop. He walks more than he strikes out. Uh, at Lake County, he had 24 walks to 21 strikeouts. Now, at AA Akron, he's got 10 walks to 8 strikeouts. So, the guy is an on-base machine. He's not as big of a home run hitter as Nolan Jones uh, is probably going to be for his career. He had 11 home runs last year in A-ball uh, when he was within the Rockies system. Now, in the Guardian system, he has five home runs so far this season split between the two levels. So, not as much as a power threat as Nolan Jones is, but still has some good life and some good pop in that bat. So, I thought that was interesting. The other thing is this conversation going on around about the catching situation and about Bo Naylor. And Mandy Bell tweeted out that Guardian's assistant GM and former director of player development, James Harris, had some thoughts on Bo Naylor. He spoke to Mandy Bell about this. So these are comments directly from the front office. Uh, what has made Bo? Uh, what has Bo made strides on since spring training, and what's left that he can improve on? Mandy asks. 
Uh, Harris starts, let's start offensively. What you've seen of what he's done offensively has been nothing short of impressive. Against advanced pitching, against lefties, he's starting to control the top of the zone, which is something that we were hoping that he would work on this year. Those are things that he has made improvements on, and it's been impressive. We're also working on his receiving. We're trying to figure out if it was a depth issue or a glove path issue. Definitely working on that. That's improved as well. Working on throwing. He had a throwing error the other day. I mean, that's common in baseball right now, but those are things that he's working on. The next step for him is being able to lead the clubhouse at the major league level. Yada, yada. He talks about that for a little bit. Um, And then he kind of goes on. uh, Mandy asks, is there a concern that he'd come up here and only catch once or twice a week? He does say that. Uh, You know, he's playing every day in Columbus up here. Would it be C1, C2, maybe even C3 because we carry so many catchers? I I don't believe that for a second. And then he talks about how, you know, some guys have come up here, had a little success, then regressed and had to go back to AAA. And he uses Oscar Gonzalez and Richie Palacios as an example. He says, look, it's realistic that that happens to Bo. It happens to a lot of rookies. Um, and we're trying to minimize that as much as possible. So what this all screams to me, so you're, you're, this all screams to me that, you know, he's working on all the things a catcher would be working on. Receiving, calling a game, leading a staff, uh, throws this, you know, throwing out base runners. Like, there's nothing shocking in here that he's working on. These are, these are all defensive things that a catcher would be working on. And the, the stuff about what he, you know, playing every day versus the opportunities he would get up here on the major league team. It sounds like a really, really basic front office excuse speak, right? These are not excuses we've never heard before about a minor league player that we want to see at the major league level. It's really hard. It's really hard to believe anything in these comments. Look, I'm sure he is working on these things, but he could... You're telling me he can't work on these things with Cam Gallagher and Sandy Lamar Jr. mentoring him along? You're t- and it, again, you're talking about the difference between an aging, broken down veteran who who can't block the ball. He, I look, he's literally the worst catcher in all of baseball when it comes to blocking the balls. And you know, I, I looked at the data. He is the worst catcher in baseball right now. He can't throw anybody out stealing bases. They run all over him. Are you telling me that 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 is worth watching? But watching a catcher who might have his ups and downs, a, a young catcher who might have his ups and downs, but is really exciting and and needs the experience. Uh, you're telling me you wouldn't make that swap the front office unless unless there was a financial or you know uh, an arbitration years of control issue out there. Like this just sounds like. Every excuse you could possibly give for why a young player is not here. And it just rings so hollow. It's just so hollow. It's this dance we have to do with the front office. But we know, I mean, if 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 the Super 2 deadline passes, which it has to be within a week or two, right? Like, it has to be soon. Some point in June, he has to cross that Super 2 threshold where he wouldn't be considered a Super 2 player. And then you can have an extra year of him as a rookie and an extra year of arbitration at the end of it um, and control him for the full six years. Uh, For a Super 2 player, if they have too much time as a rookie, then you only have control over them for five years. That's that's what we're talking about here. 
Do we have to do this dance or can we, I mean, can we just be honest with each other for once? Because that's what it feels like here. It feels like you sent the assistant GM out there to, uh, you know, take over on the dance floor and lead us through this dance one more time. So if he's up here, you know, a couple days after that Super 2 deadline, then these comments are going to be even more hollow. Now, I did hear from, uh, you know, there was some follow-up conversation after I retweeted this on Twitter. Uh, Chris reached out. We kind of went back and forth a little bit. He said he's seen some Columbus Clippers games. He's seen him play catcher. And he thinks that there are defensive things that he needs to work on. I, I asked him what. I was like, please, like, share. I, w- I want to hear what you saw. Uh, he said, I saw the Reds AAA team stealing on him with relative ease and some rough stops on balls in the dirt. I think it'd be a mistake to drop him in the middle of a competitive division race before he's truly ready. So, okay, so there's a fair assessment from one of our uh, friends on Twitter who actually got to see him play. I'm not down in Columbus. I haven't got to see him play down there. So I trust Chris's take a little bit there. But I'll still say, Chris, if, if he can't give us more than what Mike Zanino is giving us, and kind of share the catcher one responsibilities with Cam Gallagher, even though Cam Gallagher doesn't give us anything on offense. But do you see that throw he made today, throwing out a base runner? I mean, he, a missile right on target. And uh, Andres uh, Jimenez with a great tag, kind of blocking second base and dropping the tag down with his foot, uh, blocking blocking the base with his foot, dropping the tag, obviously, with his glove. Um, yeah, I just... It's still not enough to convince me that Bo Naylor can't get that same experience here at the major league level. And yes, I, I honestly I honestly would want to see him in a competitive div- division race over Mike Zanino. The front office has made that the option for us. It doesn't look like they're going to call him. They could call up another catcher. They could give David Moore Fry more opportunities to start at catcher. They could cut Zanino and they could stay with Cam Gallagher and David Fry and actually let Fry play. It doesn't seem like they want to do that, right? It seems like they're literally going to hold on to Zanino until they can get Bo Naylor up here. None of the other catchers in the system seem like they're going to get an opportunity before Bo Naylor. So if that's the options, if that's the options the front office is giving us, I'm okay with it. I'm okay with Bo Naylor learning on the job here at the major league level, uh, if he can bring some more offense, if he can bring some offense that Zanino isn't right now, if he can make up for whatever errors he might make defensively with his offense, because that's the deal we signed up for with Zanino. We said if he could hit home runs and drive in some runs, we can live with his defense for a little bit. And we're not getting that. So would we make that same deal, deal for Bo Naylor? I think I would at this point. Um, so yeah, so that, uh, I thought you definitely needed to hear that. If you didn't see Manny Bell's, uh, comments, uh, Clark, our Clark, uh, who is a frequent, uh, someone I go back and forth with on Twitter a bunch. Uh, he, he has been harping on this for years and he said, for some reason, pitchers and coaches are allowing catchers to catch from one knee. It doesn't take a scientist to figure they can't move left or right as quickly or get to their feet as quickly but yet they all do it. An old overweight catcher should not never catch like this. I think he's referring to Zanino. I I, I know he's been bothering him for years, but I, I, I said to him, like, if Sandy Alomar isn't stopping them from doing that, like, who is? Who is? So 
He said, fight this fight with me. So I'm mentioning it on the show uh, so it can become part of the collective conversation about catchers. I thought Sandy Elmore, I thought they did a piece on him a few years ago about spring training and how he was teaching the catchers to move. And Austin Hedges did it great, right? Blocking the ball. Um, Perez did it great, moving laterally to block the ball. If for some reason he has not got these guys coached to do that, then I don't know what would get through to these catchers to kind of change that technique. But I do see what you're saying, Clark. I I do see it when when they've got that leg stuck out to the side. Uh, it is tough for them uh, to block the ball moving laterally like that. So I appreciate the, the comments from everyone on Twitter. And I just thought you should know that. I thought you should know that uh, as listeners. Okay, I guess we are going a little bit long in this episode. Uh, we've got some emails to wrap up the episode. Uh, Andrew uh, and uh, Jared just you know, emailed and said thanks for uh, getting to those old emails in that last episode. Andrew did said he has a, f- a cool off-the-field nailer story to share sometimes. So, Andrew, you've piqued my interest. Uh, I hope he's piqued all of your interest. What could a cool off-the-field nailer story be about? I guess we'll have to hear from Andrew on that soon. Uh, Jared, again, thank you. Uh, he said, I appreciate you taking the time. So thank you, Jared. Uh, for emailing in. Rick uh, emailed in, Rick in Austin, uh, and uh, he's talking about Zanino. Man, we it's it's becoming a thing. Like the, the morning people are really done with him. He said, while listening to Saturday's game, I heard the crowd booing Zanino relentlessly with his throws into the outfield and pass balls and especially his weak at bats. Tom Hamilton didn't mention it. I switched over to the Astros broadcast and Steve Sparks remarked how the crowd had been booing Zanino the whole game. It sure seems that the front office had to hear it. I predict Zanino to be released and the Naylor brothers to be reunited this coming week. I'm enjoying the upward trend of the guards and your podcast, Rick and Austin. Thank you, Rick. Again, I, I tried looking up when that Super 2 deadline is, and I couldn't find anything concrete. But I, I feel like it's coming up soon. So you're right. I, I mean, Zanino, the writing has to be on the wall. They can't. If Zanino was here, if the calendar turns to July and Zanino is still here at the All-Star break, I, I will be shocked. I will be absolutely blown away uh, by the because this front office has shown it can be kind of ruthless with DFN guys. Like they moved on, even though Plesak, okay, so Plesak cleared waivers, by the way, and he's staying at AAA Columbus. But they DFA'd Plesak. They just DFA'd. Richie Palacios to make room for Cody Cody Morris on the 40-man roster. So they are willing to DFA someone. By the way, big news. Cody Morris is going to be back in the bullpen. I was right. Tim Heron is going back down. He did his work. He pitched his three innings. Hopefully he didn't blow out his arm. uh, And he's going back down to Columbus. And Cody Morris is joining the pitching staff uh, for this road trip. So that is huge for the bullpen. Having Cody Morris back is going to be a lot of fun. Um, but yeah, so I, why not be ruthless when it comes to the catching position too, and just move on from Zanino already. Uh, so thank you, Rick and Austin for the email. Uh, Jeff emailed in from Columbus. Like I said earlier, he, uh, he's the one that mentioned Classe and why was he in the game? Uh, he said, really fun game, games, recap, mailbag episode this morning. It was fun to listen to some of the old email messages and compare them to current happenings. 
Uh, not to beat a dead horse, but Gallagher caught a great game today, and not coincidentally, Bieber had his best performance of the season. Yeah, look at that. Another great pitching performance, and Gallagher is the one behind the plate. This is not a coincidence anymore. This this is fact of Cleveland pitching. If you're for some, something about what they do, if you're pitching to Gallagher, you're going to have a great game. If you're pitching to Zanino, it could get a little rocky. Uh, he said, wonderful to see the offense not suffer with Jose getting a day off as Jimenez and Bell hit dingers. Freeman almost had one, too. Yes, he did. Uh, thanks again for all the work you do put in for the pod. I look forward to it each morning, uh, Jeff and Columbus. So thank you, Jeff, uh, for the email. And uh, finishing up with Marlon, uh, first off, he points out the standings, uh, the AL Central standings. Cleveland picked up a game on the Twins, White Sox, and Tigers, who I think the Tigers are on an insane losing streak. Uh, have they lost nine in a row now? Yeah, nine in a row. The Tigers have actually fallen into fourth place. The White Sox have moved into second place. Or third place. I'm sorry. We're in second place. White Sox are in third. Uh, the White Sox squandered a 5-1 lead in the eighth inning, gave up three runs in the ninth inning. The Twins blew a 6-4 lead in the eighth inning by giving up three runs uh, to Toronto, the Guardians are currently 1.5 games behind the Twins for first place. Yes, they are. And then he emailed about the game uh, for the first time since 2017 when Cleveland swept Houston on the road and won five out of six games against them that season. The Guardians have won a series against the Astros and pitched a shutout in the process. Today, Bieber looked like the Bieber of old, striking out hitters, limiting the walks while pitching seven innings. Hopefully, Jimenez will be okay. But it was nice to see both Arias and Freeman get some playing time. Both guys did a good job hitting, but Arias had shaky defense with the two errors. Uh, yeah, I didn't really get into the defensive side of the things because, frankly, Bieber was just too good. If Jimenez is out for a few days, it's good to know these two can hold it down until Jimenez returns. Yeah, I, more at bat. I, I don't ever want to see it like this, but more at bats for Freeman uh, is definitely going to be fun. Also, shout out to Josh Bell for his three-hit game and the offense uh, hitting two homers. On to San Diego for a three-game set, and then he gets into uh, the pitching matchups a little bit. Uh, he's assuming Bybee is going to go. I don't know if it's been announced either, Marlon. Uh, yep, it's going to be Bybee against Musgrove to start the series. The other matchups include Savali versus Michael Waka and Logan Allen versus Yu Darvish. So the Padres have stacked up on good veteran pitchers, so it's going to be our young pitchers. Well, not Savali against their good veteran pitchers. So it, it's going to be a heck of a pitching duel here. It's, it's going to be a fun series facing the Padres. Uh, keep up, keep it up, Guardians. Let's make it three straight series wins. Let the good times roll. Marlon in Birmingham. And Marlon, thank you again. And I'm going to let that finish off this episode. Thanks for joining me on this Cleveland Baseball Morning. Again, the final from Progressive Field. The Guardians win the series with a 5-0 win over the Houston Astros. You can follow me on Twitter at Davey Barris. You can email the show at clevelandbaseballmornings at gmail.com. Let me know your thoughts on the game and we'll discuss them on the show. Also, I'm hosting this podcast on Spotify. If you go to the link in the show notes, you can leave a voicemail for the show. We'll play it back on the air, respond to your thoughts, and we'll have a fun conversation amongst the fans about baseball. So thanks again for joining me on this Cleveland Baseball Morning. <laughs>